0: of events. Yeah, I I was scared out of my mind because Pastor Ross was in the hospital, and I was like, what are you doing to me? You know, anyways, I I was selfishly thinking of me at that time because I didn't sign up for this. But... And I was asking the Lord, what should I teach? What should I teach? Well, he's gone, you know. And uh, he, and so I, I said, the Lord said, start with Genesis. You know, I always start in the beginning and we work our way. And we covered all the way to chapter five before Pastor Ross came back. And so I was excited that he was back. Um, but a lot of, of you were asking about Genesis chapter six because it's the spooky chapter. And so, um, and so I said, you know, next time we share uh, on Wednesdays, I'll get up and share about Genesis chapter 6. So tonight, Genesis chapter 6. When Pastor Ross comes back, he'll complete his the Joseph story, which is such an amazing story of God's grace. And so it's what we're going to share tonight. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We ask that you would draw us nearer to you than ever before, Lord, far greater than when we came in through those doors. We want to see a glimpse of your glory like Moses said. Like David said, I want to behold you in your temple, behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's what we long for, Lord. We long for fellowship, Lord, who Paul would just just blurt out these amazing songs of grace and the eternal God, the wise God. It was amazing to experience these men's, it's it's amazing to experience these men's writings and take it in for ourselves and say, Lord, we want that. We want to experience you differently, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know you as, as Paul said in your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we need you in these times desperately. So we pray for an outpouring of your spirit even tonight. Bring revival to our souls, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter six. Oh, you know, I don't know. You know, Chuck Missler used to say, "There's enough in word. There's enough in the word of God to offend you all." So this we're going to, you know, when we cover this, these first four verses. Uh, there are three views that I'm going to give to you, and you can choose one of the three or all of them. But you know, so listen. Let's, let's read this. When men began to increase in number on the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, "My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal." His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim, ooh, there's that scary word. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. And so this literal interpretation of what we're reading this evening really expresses these Nephilim's having these, really they're having this union with women and it produces these giants that are abnormal. And that's the spooky side of the literal translation of what we're reading. But we're going to dive into it and dissect it. So verse 1 begins to say that when man began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters. Now you have to imagine that because of long life, the the span of life were uh, definitely into the 700, 800 years, they were able to reproduce many, many people. They were able to, uh, you know, we, we, we look at the calculation of our birthing uh, that takes place now, and we can figure out pretty much how it was back in those days, except you have to multiply some things. You have to, you have to multiply the, the span of a lifetime. And in it, how long, could they have, uh, how, how long could they have children? You know, how long could they birth children? You know, was it up to 100? Was it up to 200, 300? Noah had children at the age of 500. So they could have had many children, and so you you know. And then, of course, you know, you you multiply all these things together: the long lifespan, a longer birth period, along with more children. This would bring us to about six billion people on planet Earth before the flood. By the way, that's 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 a real conservative number. They're saying even a lot more than that—six billion today. I think it's seven point five billion people on planet Earth. So we had the same, almost, you know, you're talking a billion more probably here on earth today than it was there. So lots and lots of people. But know this, that because sin was running rampant, because of the sin nature that mankind has inherited, sin was spreading as far as men was spreading. And so it says there that these women, these daughters were born to them. And then in verse 2, it says, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and married any of them they chose. And that's the, uh, that's the problem here is these, these sons of God. When you read them in the Bible, uh, looking for other scriptures that, that speak of the sons of God, you realize that it's, they're talking about angels here. In fact, if you look at slide three there, the Hebrew definition for son of God is benaheloyim. Uh, according to this use in the book of Job, it's speaking of angels. Uh, look at Job chapter 1, verse 6 there. Am I going too fast? If I'm going too fast, you guys can get it back and rewind it later on on video. So <laughs> the, the the next one says, now listen to the Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So that famous chapter there in the book of Job that speaks of these angels as uh, mentioned here as the sons of God. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. That's Job chapter two, verse one. And when the morning stars sang together, now in Job 38, verse seven, it says, when the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted, for joy, so all this in context speaks of angels. So these, these 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 angels came and they chose wives for themselves and had relationships with the women and produced giants. These giants were rebels and made a name for themselves, and that's why it's it's really spooky. But that's the literal translation. That's what you get when you read it for what it is. We call it exegesis. Just take what's there and take it in and study it and that's what it's saying. It's saying that these angels who left their first estate as these angels, they left their property. We'll read that in the book of Jude in just a minute. Um, They left what God had designed them to become something that they're not. In fact, we can look at that in Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse six, it says this, and the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains in their darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude 6 tells us of angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own inhabitation. And then Jude 7 goes even further and tells us that they sin in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Here in Genesis 6, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was an unnatural sexual union. It is useless to speculate on the nature of this union, whether it was brought about by, by something like demon possession or whether angels have power permanently to assume the form of men is not revealed but we should not understand the uh, but we should understand the occult is filled with sexual associations with demonic and these are those today who there are those today who actively pursue such associations Jude 6 also makes it clear that God did with these what he did with these wicked angels They are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness from the judgment of the great day. God has chained them up after the flood, and there they are in the abyss. Now, when you study Revelation, there are some angelic beings that are released that are going to come out and do some damage, and that's for another time in the book of Revelation. But that brings about a lot, a lot of different questions, and I hope that these three views that I give to you will answer these uh, questions. Now, regarding the Nephilims, the Nephilims were on the earth in those days. It's also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. Now, giants on the earth in those days, this refers to the unnatural offspring of the union between the sons of God and the daughters of men. Though they were people of unusual size on the earth, both before and after the flood, and also afterwards, these ones before the flood were unique because of the demonic element of their parentage. They were the mighty men of old, men of renown. What that really means is that they did such wicked acts that they were known in their community. It's likened to our gangs today. You know, um, if you're in the gang, you get jumped into the gang and they beat you up and then they make you go do something horrific and when you do that horrific act you come back and all the members glorify that they they celebrate that and so that's kind of what's going on here with men of renown and so we see this horrible act taking place now that's the first view pretty crazy huh these angels, you know, uh, Jude, Peter talks about these angels that are tied up down in the, in the pit there and uh, they'll be released. I know in Revelation, some will be released, but that's the literal translation. Hard to argue with the literal translation. Hard to, to, to dissect it and try to make it sound um, like anything else than what it says there. And, and by the way, that would be scary. The, the think in your mind that there would be these demigods, half man, half angelic beings running around. The titans, all the mythology right about these kind of things, you know. And, uh, and so it, it's just hard to comprehend in my mind these things. But if you're going to study God's word and you're going to take it literal, that's exactly how it reads. Now, view two. <laughs> This is what I call the view of taking the whole Bible into the context. And so Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 30, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. There are no angels that are producing offsprings in heaven, nor in the New Testament. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, it says this, Look at my hands and my feet, see that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he's speaking of angelic beings. They don't have blood. They don't have bones. They are not in this marriage form. Marriage is just for this earth. It's not in heaven. And so, of course, Ephesians tells us clearly that marriage is a representation of our relationship with God when we are in a relationship with our wives. And so it's an amazing illustration of the love of Christ. And so here, though, here it's very clear uh, in the context of what Jesus is saying here that these angels can't do the things that we read about there in Genesis. Their spirit form does not necessarily imply that they have no body at all, merely that it is not a human body. They have different makeup from humanity, whether angels are pure spirits such as God or have some type of material existence such as humans. It is much a debated point. Like so many issues dealing with the subject, the Bible does not comment on it. What we can say safely, (laughs) angels do not have any form or substance like humans. Beyond this is only speculation. So, uh, So this kind of gives us a second view, and that second view would be that uh, uh, this that the sons of God are really the men of God who love God with all their heart, and they mixed with the unrighteous uh, line, and so we could understand this to say men from the godly line of Seth, who married ungodly descendants of Cain. This interpretation draws on the two lines of the descendants traced through Genesis 4 and 5. Remember, Genesis chapter 4, it speaks of the Cain's bloodline. And then chapter 5 speaks of Seth righteous bloodline that goes all the way through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And remember, Jacob has the 12 sons. Pastor Ross pointed that out and showed you guys on it. He illustrated it there on a slide. 12 tribes, and one of those 12 sons, his name is Judah, and out of Judah comes King David. And then from King David comes ultimately Solomon and then works his way all the way to Jesus Christ, uh, Joseph's line there. And so this is the bloodline that we see here. And so this bloodline is being attacked by the devil. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and he's doing this. Uh, in, in fact, slide nine there, if you look at this, I'm gonna read it to you. The intermarrying of families, there it is. The intermarriage of families of God-fearing people, the sons of God, with families of unbelievers, the daughters of men, verse 2 there, young men who were believers in the Lord began to marry whoever they chose. The result was moral chaos. By the time we reach verse 5, we find that there was uh, no longer any distinction between the religious and irreligious. The Lord saw the wickedness of man, was great on earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was continually evil. So here we see that this is a mixture of the ungodly and godly people. Hosea reads this in Hosea chapter one, verse ten. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand in the seashores, which cannot be measured or counted in place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. So here we have that phrase, sons of God. But in all fairness, the Hebrew word for that is completely different than the Hebrew word found in Genesis. In fact, this one says that the sons of God here is bene el che. If you go there, there you go, el che. So that Hebrew word is far different than the one found in Genesis chapter 6. And they took wise for themselves of all whom they chose. Satan tried to pollute the genetic pool of mankind with satanic corruption to put a genetic virus to make the human race unfit for bringing forth the seed of the woman, the Messiah, promised in Genesis 3.15. And Satan almost succeeded. The race was so polluted that God found it necessary to start again with Noah. And his sons. The giants here are not an issue with this view. The giants were living before and after the flood. The giants did not go into the ark with Noah, but we see giants after the flood even today. So the demons did not produce giants in this view. They have always been the the, the genetic for large men and women, have always been in men, the genetics. In fact, I, I, I think about, you know, one of the, the clearest picture of that is King David who fought against Goliath. And when you see all the measurements regarding him, he's not referred to as a Nephilim, but he sure is a giant. I have some pictures of some guys here that are giants of our time. Look at this guy, 8 foot 2 inches. Look at that. He is huge. Look at the next one. He is 8 foot one inch, right? And so we know that there are giants today. Uh, skeleton remains have been found of huge giants uh, throughout the land. And so uh, even after uh, the time or during the time of Moses, we'll read this in Deuteronomy 3, verse 13. Listen to what Moses says regarding the king of Og. Spencer says to me that this is the original OG. <laughs> Only Og, okay. Only Og, king of Bashem, was left of the remnant of the Rephnites. His bed, listen to this, his bed was made of iron and was more than 13 feet long and six feet wide. Now, that's a perfect bed for my wife and I, but you know, <laughs> I love big beds, man. I love rolling in there, but this is, this is one guy's bed. 13 feet long and six feet wide And and this is Moses' writing here in Deuteronomy. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. You can go check it out, he says to all the people. That must have been an amazing sight to see how huge that giant was. By the way, uh, Moses had to defeat all them guys, all those giants at that particular time in that particular area. Og king of Basham was a mighty and infamous Amorite king in the day of Moses. There's a great deal of confusion over the word of Naphilim. And, and this is a, kind of a, a problem with this Naphilim. Uh, no one today really knows what it means. It is related to the verb series to fall, Nafal, in Hebrew, which is why some direct this to fallen angels or more appropriately the offsprings thereof. However, this also gives strong support to the view that men had fallen away from God. Many have associated the Nephilim with giants. Giant traits may not have been limited to Nephilim alone. Goliath the giant was not considered a Nephilim. The King James Version translates it as giants from the influence of the Latin Vulgate, early Latin translation by Jerome, as well as the context from Numbers 13. 13. The context of Genesis 6 does not reveal they were giants, They may have been some influence on the Latin Vulgate by the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, about 200 and 300 years before Christ. And so that word, Nephilim, was translated later on by the experts, and that's where we get the word giants. And so not a big deal in the second view. The giants aren't a problem, right? So uh, they're here today, they were here then, not an issue. All right first view second view third view (laughs) the third view is simply this the demons possess the women that's it the demons possess the women they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose we can deduce why satan sent his angels to intermarry either directly or indirectly with human women Satan tried to pollute the genetic pool of mankind with satanic corruption to put uh, in a genetic virus to make the human race unfit for bringing forth the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the promise in Genesis. I think of this, you know, I think of the story of Balaam when Israel was making their way to the promised land and there was no way to attack the nation of Israel Finally, Balaam created a story, of course course divinely given to him by the devil, pollute them by bringing beautiful women that are not Israelites. And that's exactly what happened. They went in and they began to intermarry with the Levites. And of course, there was judgment that took place because of that. But uh, it, it worked. It worked. They began to worship their foreign gods. And so this could be that very view here. The Savior could not be born of a demon-possessed mother. So if Satan could succeed in affecting the entire race, the deliverer could not come. And Satan almost succeeded. The race was so polluted that God found it necessary to start again with Noah and his sons and to imprison the demons that did this so that they could never do this again. Demon possession seems to fit better here. Demons can control human bodies. We see it throughout all the gospel. Jesus restores many times people's lives back to them by rebuking demons. The giants are not an issue with this view. As we said earlier, the giants were living before and after the flood. So that's the third view is demonic. I I like that one. But if if I'm a student of God's word, I have to hold on to view one and that's scary. (laughs) Yes, yes. uh, Thank you for that. I will hold on to God's word. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Regarding verse 3, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. For the longest time, I thought that was the lifespan of mankind after this time, but of course, that doesn't jive anywhere in history, uh, not even in our time. The average age for i don't want to tell you the average age most of you might be there but so, <laughs> the average age of of mankind in America is seventy seven point seven so uh, you guys are doing well <laughs> but uh so but this speaks, I believe, of the time that God is saying, hey, time's up. I'm giving you 120 years to repent, and you're done. You're done. It will take about 70 years for Noah to build the ark. Uh, of course, we know it's a year that it will be in the ark, a year and... Some days we'll look at that in our next time together. Uh, And so even pulling all the lumbers and getting all the help or even waiting for his sons to come of age, uh, it it would come close to 120 years. So that's what I'm thinking. Listen, God did not allow the human race to stay in the rebellious place forever. This means there is a point of no return in our rejection of God. God will not woo us forever. There is a point where he will say no more. Yet his days will be 120 years. This is not the outside of lifespan, as I said earlier, but the time left until judgment of the flood. The flood happened uh, 120 years after this announcement. Gone, mankind wiped out. When we go through that chapter, the uh, the next part of this particular chapter, and in the next chapter, we will look at the flood. There is a lot of lying and deceiving going on about that. Right? Everybody on planet Earth knows that there was a great catastrophe that takes place. And now they're talking about UFOs. You're like, really? UFOs? You know, but we know. Whether God used a meteor to, to change the axis of the Earth or whether he caused the, the floods to, to come from the heavens and down below the Earth, we will speak about it. But there's a lie that's being presented to you in your school and in the education department. And they overlook all this. They overlook all the animals scattering up to the high places, with even human fossils and finding all these, you know, these fossil records just scattering and running together, and and you know, and trying to avoid the flood, buried instantly, instantly. And they're lying. They're just they're not telling you the truth. And we'll look at that. There was judgment, and God's going to use the flood. I think more scarier than the flood. I, you know, I, the 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 ocean scares me as it is. You know, uh, I, I don't mind swimming in it, but when I think of Jaws on the other end, there, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, I'm not fish bait. I may look like it, but you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I think of you know, you know, we we were on our vacation in Hawaii. We we jumped out at one of the craters there in the middle of the ocean, man. And that way, with the waves were, were high and we were swimming. I was like, man, I wouldn't be able to survive one day. Not even probably a couple hours out here, man, you know? And, uh, and so I stayed very close to the boat, <laughs> you know, but I was thinking, you know, that the water is scary, but I think, wow, you know, uh, once you go under, you know, it's a few seconds, you're done, but fire that's coming next. God's bringing fire. He's going to, Bring judgment. And that's not speaking of all the, the things that are going to take place in the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is is very scary. And I you know, and I never want to scare anybody into salvation, but I want to tell you this that everything that God has ever said has come about. And when I read Revelation, man, that scares me back into rightness. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Let me get right. All right, let's read Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and every inclination of thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So the Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. As man began to spread throughout the world, so sin began to spread. With no law, with demon possession running at a rampant pace, we have this horrific place in the history of mankind where they are continually thinking of evil. That is quite alarming to me when I think about our time. When I think about where we're living at today. I can't even park next to a restaurant and eat my burger without having to watch what's going on around me. And that makes me angry for my child and my daughter's sake. You, you can't even park in some areas in San Francisco without, without having your windows busted out or a gun pointed at your forehead. Chicago is off the hook, you know. But it's like that Everywhere. Everywhere we we're, we're we're seeing this we're seeing this, this fast pace towards the end of time taking pl- place in fact Jesus said this that in as is in the times of Noah shall it be at the days of the end we will see that the same effect the same evil that's taken place and history repeats itself and we see it, and, I think, and it really is so bothersome to me because I think of all the modern technology that we have. We have such amazing doctors, physicians. We have psychology. It's so advanced. We have, in every arena, science, and yet we can't love our brothers. We can't love our neighbors. It's always trying to take advantage of one another. We're not too far from these days, my friends. But Jesus warned us. Jesus warned us. God's grieving was not sorrow for making a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. God gave his human, his human creation the freedom to choose between right and wrong. And he was grieved in his heart to see how far humanity had fallen from what he originally intended. God's sorrow at man and the grief in his heart are striking. It does not mean that the creation was out of control, nor does it mean that God God hoped for something better, but it was unable to achieve it. God knew all along that this was how things would turn out. But our text clearly tells us that as God sees his plan for the ages unfold, it affects him. God is not unfeeling in the face of human sin and rebellion. He sees you and I. He loves mankind. It's hard for us to share that with people that are outside the church. They always are looking at their own conditions and thinking about evil, and they're thinking about murder and sickness and disease, and they want to wave their fist at God and blame God without realizing that God is the solution, that God is the answer. This wasn't God's fault. God gave mankind free will. We chose to separate ourselves from God. Even today, you have a free will. Choose to do good or to do evil. You still have a free will. You get to decide. And yet, as I look around, I see so much men choosing evil. I see our our government so selfish, so greedy. We could distribute food and And clothing galore and have everybody live in this amazing America. And yet, we want money for it. You're not getting it. You're not getting the oil for fuel. We're not dropping the prices because we want to put money in our pockets. Greed. You see, outside the church, you, you have to understand what Christ has given to us and what Christ has done for us. He's changed us on the inside that we would love our neighbors. We, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are the effect of the Holy Spirit working purity in the world. You are still the light of the world, my friends. God is still using you. They are witnessing your behavior. They're seeing, you know, my wife, the other day, I was, you know, I, I wear this shirt, you know, this rock ch- shirt when I go to restaurants and stuff, and Heather goes, you better behave properly, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm on my best behavior. <laughs> you know, in, in, in Santa Rosa, you know, you, you just can't be, you, I like driving fast, but in Santa Rosa, you can't do that because I might pull in front of, I might pull out in front of you. And then you're gonna, that's Pastor Bond, and then I'll be judged <laughs> harshly. Yeah. So I gotta behave properly in every arena because I, I don't know everybody. So you know, I, so I have to behave right. That's that's my wife, but the the effect of the work of the Holy Spirit is more powerful, and He's changing us within. And as I watch our world unwind in this, I see there is light, and hope. And God has instilled it in us via the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to Noah in verse 17. It says this, or this verse 8, slide 17, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. I remember reading that Walking with God is the same idea that Enoch had. Remember when Enoch walked with God, what did God do for him? God took him, right? You're going to fellowship with me. You're going to hang out with me in heaven. You know, God is has this intimate relationship with Enoch. Enoch is walking, and I love what this Jewish writers write about him. Enoch one day is walking with, with God out in the field, and he's just enjoying this devotion, this fellowship. And then Enoch realizes, well, it's late, I better get home. My wife is probably worried about me. And God says, You are home. And I love that. My wife's kind of baffled by that because she thinks, Well, what did the wife think? You know? <laughs> Where, where's the husband? You know? <laughs> well, like, I don't know about that, but I know this. Enoch walked with God and he wasn't no more, for God took him. What a beautiful story in here. Noah has that behavior. Listen, it says here that he was a righteous man. It's only because of what God is doing in his life. God is looking at the cross before Noah for Noah's sake. That gives him righteousness. He's blameless. Now, he's going to live it out. He's being conformed by God's spirit. Remember, God's spirit is working even in the Old Testament the way he's functioning there is the same way he functions today. Convicting us of sin. righteousness, and judgment. The only difference, he, you know, he couldn't point him to Jesus. Jesus hadn't died yet, but he was pointing him to the Lamb of God. And Noah was there. Picture this, the most corrupt environment on planet Earth. Everybody is going the opposite way, and yet Noah says, I'm going the right way. One guy. And he's going to teach his family. His three sons. How to do that. That is mind boggling. But I think of you all, you have the same effect. Everybody's going the wrong way, but not you or I. We're going to go the right way. And we're going to make a difference. Noah here makes a difference. And I, and I love it because it goes on to say about Noah here at, in, in the New Testament, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4-5. through, 40, uh, 4 through 5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, listen to this, a preacher of righteousness. I was walking in these museums one day and looking for a a picture for our home for many, many years. And uh, one day I, I walked into this one little shop and it had all these Indian pictures. And I was like, whoa, look at that, all these cool Indian pictures. But in the very back corner, I could see, it looked like teepees. And I'm like, that's not a teepee, that's Noah's Ark. And I walked over there and I grabbed it and I go, I want this, hon. And I said, I want this picture. And I have it in my home. And I said, because it's the preacher of righteousness. And then I look at it again, and that's what it tagged. That's what the tag said on there. The preacher of righteousness. In his crazy environment, he stood for truth. And he preached the second coming. It's it's what the Bible says, that he preached. There is another judgment coming. Prepare for that now, my friends. Even before the flood... He had 120 years to preach to all those people. And he was sharing with them. My friends, you are the Noah of today. And how lightly are we taking that? I don't know about you, but anything that God gives to me, I wanna do. And I wanna be those guys, not, you know, gain 10% or 40% or 60%. I want my fruit to be 100%. That's just the way I am. I, I don't want you know when you read the, the 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 you know the the talent stories, and then they produce you know thirty and sixty and one hundred. Who looks at thirty? <laughs> I hope you don't. I hope you're one of those guys or gals that are affected by the spirit of God. It says, "I want to be a hundredfold. I want to be used by you, God, in a powerful way. I'm here, Lord." Listen, you think it's by chance that God put you in this generation? No way. Noah preached to his generation. David did the same thing. God put you here for a reason so that you would reach this generation. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus... We need you so much today. We know that you're always on time for everything, Lord. And this is not a—it's not a chance that we're in the time that we're in. It's not a chance that the world's out of control. It's not out of control. It's perfectly lined up for your coming. But Lord, you left us here to be ambassadors you left us here to be the light of the world the little lights that you called us to be and we want to do it well so we pray Holy Spirit that you would take us that you would take us to higher heights with you that you would take us to a place where we surrender not 10, 20, 30, 40 but all to you and whatever job you give to us Lord we'll say we're in it whether it's serving here at the church or praying or evangelism or missions or giving or whatever it may be, those, I think there's 19 gifts that you give to the body. Lord, I pray that we would use them to glorify you in this generation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that every one of us would pray for a great revival for this church. Lord, I see it. You, you've given us a pastor that's amazing in teaching your word and holding steadfast. And, and I see that we're just, we're just, it seems like inches away from breaking out to a revival, Lord. And I pray that you would put that in all our hearts, Lord, to pray that, that we would see people repenting of their sins and getting back to your word. We pray for that right now. I pray for your people. Strengthen them, Lord. I pray if there's people that have fallen into sin that you would give them the victorious Christian walk, Lord. Pray that you would clean them up, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here that has the broken heart and just just bewildered or because of what's happening in this earth, Lord, that you would meet them right where they're at and comfort them. I know that so many men and women have children, Lord, that have, well, they're prodigals. I pray for them, Lord. Save them, Lord. Turn their hearts to you now. Speak to us throughout the night, Lord. Give us dreams. Give us vision. In Jesus' worthy name, amen.